0: I'm glad you're here today. It's a beautiful day, for sure. Uh, every day is a good day to be in, to worship God, as we'll talk about here in just a minute. Uh, and none any better than this one, because we're all together. So, uh, today we're studying through uh, the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, normally you'll see some things on the screen, but today you will not, because the, the internet apparently is down. Uh, at least it is here in the church, uh, if, you're, if you can't connect to it either. So, anyway... Today, in our study of, the, of these Old Testament prophets, we're looking at the book of Amos. Amos, if, if you read it this week, like I encouraged you to last Sunday, uh, if you read it, you probably thought to yourself, what is he talking about? Like, that's in the Bible? Like, that's, that's a hard word. I mean, that's, that's some hard stuff. You would have thought, like, how, does, how do you line that up with Jesus? Right? Because Amos, Amos brings it. Um, if, Amos chapter 2, if you want to just listen, hear this. If you can follow along with me in your, in your Bible, there should be one near you. Amos chapter 2, uh, verses 13 to 16. He says, now then, hear this, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength. The warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away. And the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will not flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. And, and then he, in verse 4, in chapter 4, he, he keeps going. This is, this is what he's talking to, the Israelites. He says, go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin some more. Bring your sacrifices every morning. Your tithes every three years. Burn your leaven bread as a thank offering and brag about all your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites. For this is what you love to do. Declares the sovereign Lord. I don't know if you heard that, but wow, yeah, that's like what? He said that to them? Yep. He said more. But first, let's pray. Lord, as we open your scriptures today, we ask you, God, that you would use your words encourage us, to teach us, to challenge us. Amen. Amen. So Amos brings is a bearer of bad news. (laughs) Uh, We know what it's like to get bad news. I know what it's like to deliver bad news. Uh, One time that stands out in my mind sharply is there was a cute girl in an apartment with her friends hanging out and somebody knocks on the door and it's this good looking guy. And he says, "Hey Michelle, I ran into your car," <laughs> and she stuck with me after that. Uh, <laughs> her baby 280Z that I ran into, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, y'all, yeah, yeah, it'll make me feel better. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> she still says we should have one. Now, <laughs> yes, you're right. But but those times when when bad news comes out of the blue are rare. I mean. Sometimes we've all maybe experienced them in life. Some of you probably may have never gotten them. Usually bad news comes in a different form. It's bad news that, if you were honest with yourself, you probably had seen it coming. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, well, in my life, I'll tell you. Some of the bad news that came into my life was when my dad told me that he and my mom were getting a divorce. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. But in reality, I, I could believe it. It was pretty believable. Like, it didn't come as, it didn't shock me as I look back on it. It shouldn't have, right? If I could have just opened my eyes and seen, I would have known that it wouldn't have been a surprise. I remember, I remember getting fired the first time. I acted like, oh, I can't believe you did this to me. But I'd been late many times. And then that day, I was supposed to have been there at 8, and I showed up at 1130. Like, like you, you should have, you should have known, right? You should have known. Don't. Don't even bother. Like, be sick. If you're like, I remember when my sister told me that my dad was gonna die, or he died. He'd been ill. It didn't come as a. I mean, I was, I was shocked, but I wasn't surprised. Right? That's usually the way bad news comes. If, if we were to be honest and read the tea leaves, as we say, we would most of the time the bad news that comes into our lives, we could have, we should have probably seen it coming. Right? Normally. Normally, that's what that's what makes it so bad is that we should have known we should have seen it coming. But we didn't. <clears throat> I think it would be great if we had like a uh, some warning lights like on your in your car and your dashboard. Like if you had a like a check engine light or a or a check your family light or a, or a check your spiritual life, like something like a light that would go off and you would like draw your attention to it. And you're like, oh, OK, I'll go get that checked out. Right? It would be awesome if we had that. I just want to tell you that I believe we do, and I'll talk about it later. But we have to know that that's there for us and how to use it. I'm going to get to that. But first, these minor prophets. These minor prophets, they are, they're proclaiming a message of God. Like, you may not be aware of it, but, but these are some short books in the Old Testament. They contain warnings of, of coming judgment and coming salvation for God's people in the Old Testament. Right. This book is a Bible. And in this book is what we call a love letter or a series of love letters from God to his people. And these minor prophets, these short prophetical writings in the back of your Old Testament, uh, these are a big message of I love you from God. Right. That's a big that's a big message for God to tell you I love you. Right. For God to tell his people that I love you and I care like that's a big that's big and I believe it's just as big for us today as it was for the Israelites and the and the people in Judah back then. Uh, today we look at Amos. We don't know much about Amos. You may know nothing about Amos. That's all right. Uh, give you a little background. Amos was from Tekoa. Oh, don't, that means nothing to you. It's a little. It's south of Jerusalem. It's in a, in a city south of Jerusalem. Now at this time Israel had been divided north and south. They'd have a civil war, right? And they were split north and south and Takoa was just south of Jerusalem, but six miles or so, and he was—he lived there. His ministry only lasted about a year. And a matter of fact, he wasn't like a prophet. Amos was a farmer; he was a rancher. If you may want to think of it that way. He was like a—he was like one of us. He was like a regular old guy that God called him to go and speak, and so he went and spoke. Right around 760 BC is when he was. When he did his preaching, he left Judah, the south, and he went into the north. He went to the capital city of Israel, the north, and in Samaria. And that's where he preached, in the city of Samaria. I titled today's message, uh, which you can't see it in your bulletin, but on, on my copy, it says, Burdened Love. Burdened Love. That's what I titled this message, because his name meant burden. Amos, that's what it implies, a burden, to, to burden, uh, is what... So, so this is a message of God, message of God's love that is a Amos the Burden man is gonna bring, right? You see, at this time in Israel, things are going pretty good. In Israel, like everybody is kind of living the good life. The the surrounding nations, the, the ones that they had problems with all the time, the Egyptians and the Syrians, well, they had their own issues. You know, they had their own internal political Domestic problems. So when when you got domestic problems, you don't have time to go out and and fight wars, right? So their neighbors were quiet. Their neighbors were quiet. So that allowed the nation of Israel and Judah to to kind of do their thing. And under the reign of Solomon, the nation of Israel became wealthy beyond imagination. Matter of fact, they were far wealthier than any of the surrounding nations around them. This was a time this were these were good days. These were good days for the for the people of Israel. Matter of fact, their biggest concerns were what meat to eat, which was a luxury back then. Like like what kind of wine should I drink tonight? That was their dilemma, right? Should I stay in my summer house or my winter house? That was their those were their, their problems, right? Like like should I sleep on the ivory bed or on the wooden bed? Like that was those were the options, the things that they had to sort through, right? It was a it was a time of extravagance. It was a time of luxury for them. Business was booming. Worship was great. People were coming to church, and they were bringing their offerings. As a matter of fact, they were overflowing the baskets of the tithe, for their tithes and their offerings because things were so good for them. People in Samaria they felt secure. They had nothing to worry about. They had no no worries at all. It was it was uh, Israel's number one. That's what they, they were all like proud of themselves because they had it going on. It was national pride. I mean, it was all about us. We are blessed. And we're happy about it. You might say they were a lot like us today. Far wealthier than anybody else. Proud of themselves. Greater than any nation. And into this walks Amos, a rancher. He's a rancher, a farmer. The burden walks in. His burden, you might say, is a message from God that God gave him to take to the people. What else would cause him to leave his home country and go to a, another country, another capital, to proclaim a message of, to be a bearer of bad news, right? What, what would make you become a bearer of bad news than a message you had to tell, right? Otherwise, we don't. We avoid it, and he would have as well. But in chapter, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says that, that he heard the voice of the Lord as a lion roar. He said, that. That's what made him go. The roar of a, the lion. A God, the voice of God was like the roar of a lion. and it, it compelled him to go. He had to go and share this message that he had received. At first, now, his message was was pretty well received. As you read through it, uh, you, you would you would see that his message was people were like, yeah, I get it. Because if you read through the the, the first two chapters, actually, he's talking about all the surrounding nations. He's talking about their, their problems, their issues. Damascus, the brutality of Damascus. Gaza, how they sold their captives. How could they do such a thing? God will judge them surely. Tyre and their slave trade. They're going to they're experience God's wrath. Eat them. If you don't know, Edom, the nation of Edom was the descendants of Esau. And Esau and Jacob, if you remember know the Old Testament, that there was always this thing between Edom and the Israelites, that Edom was going to get judged too, Amos said. Ammon, for their attack on Gilead, right? How they had gone to war unnecessarily so. Moab, their war with Edom. Like, like how all this strife was going on, how God was going to judge them for all these things. And then Amos he even points the finger and he says, And my people down in Judah, they're not getting out of this either. They're going to get judged too. He said, Because they've been deceived. They've been deceived. They're not following God, they've been deceived from following Him. And you know, if, if you and I, if we were in Samaria at that time, we'd be like, Man, you preach, man. You want to come here more often. That's right. You tell them people what they ought to do. Them people from up there, them Chester Towners come down here, people from Pennsylvania move down here. And they, it's like you're talking about all those people that we all talk about, right? You're talking about them people. Say, that's right. Preach, brother. Preach. you going right. he that's the word. And then Amos says, and you Israelites. And they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, man, he came around to us. He points out their willful disobedience. Their willful disobedience. See, they knew what to do. And they refused to do it. And God was bringing judgment on them too. Oh boy. He's not leaving us out. Everybody is getting judged. And to Israel, God proclaims in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, hear this word, people of Israel. The word the Lord has spoken against you. Against the whole family I brought up from Egypt. I saved all of you from Egypt to be my people. He says, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. I've chosen you. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Chosen you. And He says, and I, I, you're mine. And so I'm going to treat you like you're mine. Hey, That's my uncle you used to tell me all the time. I knew it was time to go home. <laughs> I knew it was time to go home. When my, my uncle said, hey, I'm going to treat you like my, you're my own, I'm like, hi, y'all. <laughs> you're not... Yeah, it's time to go. It, Amos goes on in chapter four. He says, Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, because I will do this to you. Israel, prepare to meet your God. <laughs> you know what that means. Go to your room. Your father will be home soon. Yeah. Right? That's like, go stop talking and just get on back there and close the door. We'll settle, we'll deal with this in just a minute. You you heard you've heard that before, right? I don't know how I heard it a lot. So Amos is making that declaration. You've been waiting. I mean, the end is coming. Judgment day is approaching. You've been waiting for the day of the Lord. Well, let me tell you what the day of the Lord is going to be. It ain't going to be one you're going to live through. Right? He's saying this is the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. As a matter of fact, 40 years later, the Assyrians conquered scattered them to the wind. Scattered them. And that's it. That's it for the nation of Israel. But what is it that they've done? What is it that these people that God brought out of Egypt, what is it they've done that's so bad? That that brings about all this. I mean, if you read the, the book of Amos, I mean it is judgment after judgment after judgment. I mean, it is like full of bad news. What did they do? Well, he tells us in there. In the passages I read at the beginning, it says, It says, Go ahead and send all you want. Send all, go, go ahead send all you want and I know you're going to come and you're going to make your offerings and you're going to come to church and, and you're going you're to do all the things you're supposed to do. You're going to be you're on the Sabbath. You're going to be back at the temple with your offerings and you're going to come back next year with your, with your sacrifices and you're going to do this again and I'll see you next week because you're going to live however you want and then you're going to come and you're going to act like everything's fine. Everything She every, uh, says, that, no, that's the problem. That's the problem. You live one way and you worship another. He said, your whole life is to be an act of worship. So he's telling them that you were born to be my people. You can't live with, like my people one day a week and live like your own, like you're yourself, the other six. He said, you are my people. And I'm going to treat you that way. Even if that means judgment. You see, and that's what applies to us. Worship is an extension of our lives. You know, we, we come to church to worship, every, to praise God for everything that's happened. That's already happened. the things that he's been doing in our lives, we come to praise him for that. So what exactly did they do those other six days that was so bad? Amos describes what he's seeing as he travels from from Judah up to Israel, up to Samaria. He describes in in chapter 5 one of the things that he sees. Amos chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, he says, You levy a straw tax on the poor. And you impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses, how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice and courts. Therefore, the prudent will just be quiet. For the times are evil. He says, if you're smart, you're just going to be quiet and listen. Because I've seen it all. You're not hiding anything from me. Their culture was one that took advantage of the poor. In other passages we see where uh, the poor didn't have anything to offer as security for loans, so so they would offer their coat, right? So they would give their coat to people for money for food. And we see in other passages in Amos where where the rich were were laying on their coats. We're just pile the coats up and so I can lay on them. When we think of poverty and, and how we should respond to people who are poor, we usually think of it as, uh, we think of them as an object of charity, right? That's a, normally, that's how we think of the poor. It's, it's good to be charitable towards people who don't have much, who are in need, right? Charitable. We use that word all the time. We even get a tax deduction for charity, donations. Now, I'm not diminishing charity. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But Because I'll say this. One of the most significant experiences I've had as a father was doing charitable work. I I used to be a part of a ministry that went to the inner city of Baltimore and D.C. on Christmas Eve. The night. uh, Christmas Eve evening. And uh, we would hand out clothes to the people on the street on Christmas Eve. And I took my son one year. And uh, it's, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And we're in a shelter. That's all men. Uh, and we're there, it's the end of the night, and we're just going to sing some Christmas carols with them and drink some hot chocolate and warm up a little bit because we've been on the street and, and come back to Annapolis or to the Eastern Shore and uh, took the time to sit down at a table with my son and talk to one of the guys who was there in the shelter. And he began to tell a story about, uh, tell me that, you know, we asked, how'd you get here? You know, I wanted my son to hear, like, like, like how'd you get here? Like, like, you never thought you'd be here. Like, what, what happened? But he was a pretty normal guy. His family was in a shelter across town. So he was going to spend Christmas Day when not was to get to see his family. Two little kids and his wife that he'd be separated from. Him. My son was just like in awe. Like, like, really? You can't see your family on Christmas? He was a little guy at the time. Yeah. It was fantastic to be able to share that moment with my son. And for him to, to see that people live in very different ways than you do, right? That was a, that was a great experience for me and my son, actually. So I'm not diminishing doing good things. Because doing good things make you feel good, right? Don't, I mean, you feel good when you do good, right? I mean, you it, it do. There's, there's no denying that. But to God, helping those in need is about much more than feeling good. In Scripture, our treatment of the poor and those in need isn't about charity. It's about justice justice. Now I know that some of you may hear this as a political statement about social justice. I want to just say, just put your politics in your pocket for a second and hear me. Or hear God, what God is trying to say here, I believe, today. When I say justice, you may think, well, justice is in the court of law. right? That's exactly right. Justice is like in a court of law. They get what they deserve. right? That's just. What's just? So when it comes to the poor, what is it that they deserve to God? Our compassion, right? Our help. His people to help the poor. That's what, he, that's what God expects. What is just to the poor is our help. Our compassion. Our love. Our reaching out. All throughout scripture we hear God's heart towards the poor. Remember it started in Egypt. I heard your cries and so I'm here to deliver you, right? He said I, you are a, a foreigner in a foreign land so be hospitable to the foreigner in your midst. All right? again and again. Again and again. But behold, I give you a new covenant. Love one another. Blessed are the poor. The meek shall inherit the earth. Again and again. Psalm 12, verse 5. It's a powerful one. He says, because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. Hear that again. I will protect the poor from those who malign them. The Israelites knew these words. These, these weren't like aha moments for them. They knew this. They knew that as the people of God, they were to be about the God their, their God's business. That's what they were supposed to be doing. But it's not the response that Amos saw as he traveled through the land. Chapter 6, verse 4 it says, You lie on beds adorned with ivory, and you lounge on couches, You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and you improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlfuls and use the finest of lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. He says, not only do you take advantage of the poor, not only do you cheat them in taxes, not only do you steal from them, but you don't even feel guilty about it. Your brother and your sister... Fellow Israelites, you don't even feel bad that they're in the situation they're in. You just kind of go right on by, don't even notice them. I have a friend who's a pastor now, uh, and he tells a story often, and I remember when it happened, Uh, he he worked in D.C. at the time, he was a computer guy, and he worked in downtown D.C., and if you've ever been in downtown D.C. in the daytime, it's, There are homeless panhandlers everywhere, right? Uh, He worked, his office was right across the street from one of the the parks where a lot of them hung out during the daytime. Um, And he would just go go by them every day, day in, day out, day in, day out. He never really paid much attention to them. And one day, he was at work, and God said, go down and have coffee with one of them. So he did. He took his coffee break, and he went down and he bought one of them coffee and tried to talk to him. And the guy didn't make much sense. He didn't really... He was crazy, essentially. He just didn't. This guy that he walked by, he'd seen every day, and he was here sitting at a table having a cup of coffee with him, and he didn't understand why he was there. Right. <clears throat> the next day, on the way home, I guess he was really convicted by it, and he told his wife uh, to to make some extra, make an extra sandwich that he was gonna share share lunch with him the next day. And so he went and he invited Donald, that was his name, uh, to lunch. <clears throat> and he said, I gave him my lunch because, frankly, watching him eat made me lose my appetite. <laughs> he, he said, do you ever see somebody fight a sandwich <laughs> trying to eat it? <laughs> he said, that's what it was like. It was just, he was like a wild animal trying to eat a sandwich. I mean, he said, it was just gross. I, I, I couldn't eat with him." And so the next day I had my wife make some extra sandwiches. And I had his friends. I gave sandwiches to his friends. And he kept doing that. He kept doing that. Why? Because God had changed his heart. Right, he, he walked by this guy day in and day out, day in and day out. Never, never bothered him at all. And then one day, God says, noticed him. And he did. And he responded. You see, the poor, those in need, have always been near the heart of God. The Israelites had been saved to be God's people, to be a blessing to those around them. Yet there they were, ignoring, walking right by, taking advantage of those that they'd been charged with being a blessing to. Because their lives were an injustice, their worship was an offense to God. That's what he says in the book of Amos. Because your, your daily lives are... Injust because you live contrary to what I'm teaching you, your worship is an offense to me. The days are coming, declares the Lord in chapter 8, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but get, hear this, and you may think, hey, that may be our problem. But a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east. Searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. People won't understand the God's word. Because God is going to withhold it from them. Withhold understanding from them. Amos wants the people to repent. To turn to God. To hear. To see God's passion for the poor. To worship with honest hearts. He's not a professional prophet. He's just, he's just a burden has been put on him. And he's here to share it. Judgment is coming if you don't wake up to the call of God that he has for his children. Wake up, he's telling them, wake up. In chapter 7, Amos has visions. God gives him visions of what that judgment is going to look like. And every, in each chapter, there's three of them. And after each one, he says, but Lord, Judah is so small they'll be crushed. And God relents. And then he gives him another vision. And then they're going to be destroyed this way. And, and Amos steps in and he says, but God, they're so small they'll be crushed. And God relents. And then he shows him another way that he's going to destroy them. And, and Amos steps in again and he says, but Lord, they're, they're so small that we crushed. And God relents. And then God tells him why this judgment is coming. Because up to now, he hadn't explained to him why. God says, I'm going to bring a plumb line. Everybody know what a plumb line is? It's like a weight on a string. And all it does is show you vertical. That's all it shows you. It's, it doesn't do anything else. It just hangs down. But it shows you what straight up and down is. God says, "I'm going to bring a plumb line, and I'm going to hold it up to your temples, to your synagogues. I'm going to hold it up to your homes, to your lives, to your work, to your worship, and you're going to see that it's all. None of it is in alignment with me, and I'm going to destroy it all. I'm going to to wipe it out," he says, "because you're out of line. You're out of alignment." That the destruction is coming because we're out of line with his design for us. Or they were out of line with his design for them. So he was going to destroy them. You may think, wow, that's harsh. But they weren't fulfilling their purpose. And that's why Amos is there, to warn them, to say, come back. Come back to God. Come back to why you were created. You see, Amos isn't the only one with a burden. God has a burden. God has a burden to love. To love. God's burden is for the poor. For the poor foreigner. For the outcast. For the downtrodden. God has a burden for the tired and the sick. God has a burden for the widow and the orphan. If you ever wonder if if God's on your side, let me just... That's the side he's on, the poor. God is on the side of the foreigner. God is on the side of the outcast. God has a burden for the lost. And what God does is he chooses some people to stir up love and compassion. He used Amos to stir up love and compassion in his people. The Israelites, all they had was the law to tell them that you have to do it this. You have to do this, right? That's all they had. The law was said to be compassionate. You know, okay, well, am I being compassionate? You know, the law says do it this way, so I'm going to do it. That's all they had, right? That, that's all they had. You and I, if, if we don't have the law, all we have is God to, you know, or ourselves to tell us. You know, I feel good helping others, so I'm going to help others because it makes me feel good, and that's a selfish reason. So whether you're doing it. I mean, we're no different than the Israelites, right? Because we're Our own purposes, our own motives. God tells us to. Or it makes me feel good. Not much difference between those two. Neither one of them are to glorify God. And that's what God enables in us. As a follower of Christ, as a Christian, He comes and He gives you His Holy Spirit to live in you, to inspire you to do love and compassion, to do love and good works, To do good things. He inspires you. So you do things properly motivated. Because God is leading you there. Not so you get something out of it. Not because you have to. But because you love to. Because you know he loves them. And you want to help them. You want to be a blessing to them. Properly motivated love is the key. You see. I spoke earlier about having a dashboard of of gauges and lights. That would direct you. The Holy Spirit is that dashboard. The Holy Spirit is that that equips us, not just directs us, but equips us. Tells us when our tank is full to to go that way, right? Gives us a direction. Stirs our hearts. You may not feel it. You may not feel that stirring to uh, to love and compassion. You may feel like you just do things because you feel good doing them. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to say that ask the Holy Spirit to inspire you. He will. He promises to. To equip you, His his children, to love and good works. He will equip you. Ask Him. Our, Our church is involved in a lot of pretty powerful ministries that some of you, many of you, are not part of. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of a tutoring program. Maybe You haven't asked the Holy Spirit to inspire you to mentor or tutor other children. Have you? Have you said, you know, I just don't feel like I should be doing that? Well, have you asked God to to create that in you? Have you sought that out? Seek it out. Ask Him, Lord, inspire me to want to tutor kids. See if He doesn't. He may not. Lord, inspire me to to go to Ageless Wonders and and minister to widows who would feel alone without someone interested in them. Lord, inspire me to have dinner on Wednesday nights with some kids who are essentially orphans. Because I will tell you, they, they may have parents at home, but there's a lot of parents at home that don't know much about being parents. And they need some seasoned adults in their life. They would love to have some seasoned adults in their kids' lives. So just go. Eat a meal. It's not hard. You you probably do it a couple times a day. Just go and do it with some kids. Share your life with them. Tell them stories. They're going to roll their eyes. Yeah, okay. But they love to hear it. They'll be back next week. You can tell them another story. Maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to stir up others. That you know people that in your life that they don't understand their purpose. And so after church today, we're having lunch at Anchor and Plow. I'm calling you first responders. People who will have a spiritual conversation with people, with folks. So we're going to learn how. Somebody has to tell them. Why not you? Maybe the Holy Spirit is stirring you. Ask him. Ask him to stir you if he's not. And if you don't, if you don't feel the Holy Spirit leading you, you don't know what I'm talking about in this, then maybe you're not a Christian. <coughs> Shocker. Maybe, maybe you haven't surrendered your life to him, to Jesus. said, live through me. Use me. Maybe that's where you need to start. Then I promise you, I promise you, he will direct your life. He will direct your life. I promise you. I want to pray for you. God, we love you and we thank you. You are good to us, Lord. You direct our lives. You call us to show love and compassion to those in need. And not only do you call us to it, God, you inspire us to see it. You equip us. You give us the things that you bless us so that we have something to share. You're amazing, Lord. Those who are here today, God, who want to feel inspired, Lord, just ask God to speak to you. Ask God to to give you an inspiration for, for the poor, for a child, for a family down the street. Ask God to inspire you with compassion for those in need. Ask Him for it. keep asking because that's his heart that's his that's your heart lord you want us to have your heart for people around us lead us there lord there may be those that are here today who who've never surrendered their lives to christ who aren't living for for god and you know that now if that's you sitting here today i just want to all you have to do is pray a prayer just just surrender your life just tell god i give you my life I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. But I want to live for you. I want to live with purpose. I want to know. I want to know and not doubt. I want to be inspired. I want to accomplish something significant in this world, in my life. I don't want to live for this moment anymore. I want to live for eternity. I want my life to have impact beyond me. If that's your prayer, then just pray that.